The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Find out more about their upcoming free virtual convention later on in this episode. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. From the special shipbuilding yards at Pod Fleet Command, where we have captured a Jem'Hadar vessel and are combing through it to learn everything we possibly can, which is a tough job because we're really not that bright. It's the biggest little show in the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 238, Hmm. where we're going to take a look at, I don't know, a ship of some kind. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. Um, buddy, if if we were stranded on a desert planet and there was a captured ship, I would offer you up to the Jem'Hadar in a heartbeat uh, as uh, as a prize, a bounty, um, a uh, hors d'oeuvre, whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's taking a turn. I can't help it. It's the wow. way the Jem'Hadar are. But you are the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. And Dan, get off my ship. I, okay, uh, I appreciate that. I think anyway. You're maybe welcome. I, before you turn me over, maybe they could just shoot you with their anticoagulant weapons, and then I'd laugh as I get eaten by the Jem'Hadar. That's what I was getting from that. No, okay. no, they wouldn't shoot me. Uh, all right. Well, it's good to be here. Yes, uh, we're going to talk the ship this uh, this episode. Now, um, you're probably all going. Wait a second. We were supposed to be doing see it or skip it. Uh, Voyager season six this week, Dan and Bill. Dan. We did have to have a quick scheduling change. Um, don't worry, we are still going to be doing it. It's going to be coming up next week, and we are still going to have our good friend Thad Hate on the show with us to be the ref as we duke it out on which ones we would recommend and which ones we wouldn't for Voyager. But as kind of a fill in, since we had to push it off a week, you know, the ship is a great episode. It's Deep Space Nine, which I'll talk about any day of the week. So uh, here we are, my friend. As I've discovered 237 other times, you literally will talk about anything. I will. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll the talk only thing about I it. really don't talk about is how great you are, because there's just really nothing to say. No, it's not a whole lot of data there. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> or Jordy, 
or Riker. Oh God. Or Deanna or Beverly. That's not even funny. That's or Pulaski. See, that's that is a really bad joke that I would say. So I am obviously rubbing off on you, and I am proud. What I'd like to say is you've brought me down to your level, which really makes me feel <laughs> horrible. <just> did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, see it or skip it coming up next week. In the meantime, Dan, how might people send us their their disappointment and their <laughs> wishes that we were actually doing Seater Skip It this week. We're really, we're really sorry, but it'll be worth the wait. It's like a, it's like a cliffhanger. You just can't wait till it happens, right? Right. Anyway, sure. uh, we definitely want to hear from you all. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. You'll be able to email us, send us a voicemail, chat us up, tweet at us right from that location. And of course, you can always go to Camp Kittimer, which is the official Facebook group for the Trek Geeks podcast network. It's on Facebook, like I just said. It is the most positive Trek group on Facebook. There's no trolling. No, no, no. There's no gatekeeping. Uh-uh. And only people there celebrating what they love about Star Trek. All you need to do is go to Facebook and search for Camp Kittimer. You'll find us. You can join the group and uh, be ready to be part of a great experience. Uh, We also want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Dan, and Fark for the amazing job they do running the camp. But if you do contact us, it's very important to keep in mind that any comments or messages that are going to be in any of these places may be used in a future episode. And plus, if they contact us and it seems like somebody's replying in broken English, it's probably you. Oh, that goes without a doubt. Yeah. I, I can't complete this. <laughs> I thought your internet dropped there for a minute. You had me. <laughs> I gotcha. Your mouth was open on that one. <laughs> Dan, as we do every single week, we want to take a moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You know, it, I'm sure it seems like a broken record to some folks, but we wouldn't continue to sing the praises of Fansets if we did not believe 100% in the products they release and the service that they provide. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, my friend. It is truly a once-in-a-lifetime thing to come across a company that just fits perfectly with our message. They're fans. They know the level of detail we expect with each and every pin that they put out. And before it gets released to the public, they have a painstaking review of each product. And if there's an issue, they're going to scrap it and they're going to start all over again. And they've done that before. They, like us and all of you, want their collectibles to be top of the line. And they promise that with each and every pin. And speaking of pins, we're really happy to announce that on November 15th, the following new pins will be available. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Jean-Luc Jean-Luc Picard with his family crest. Hugh from Star Trek Picard will be available. And my oh my, Bill, the USS Cerritos. Oh, yes. Very nice. Um, Also, we want everyone to know that Fansets is working very, very hard to get all of these new pins out as soon as possible. The pandemic has certainly taken its toll on things, getting things out in time. So they continue to work very hard to make sure that the Lower Decks Com Badge collection and the Voyager's collector set will be out just as soon as possible. And they truly appreciate your patience. So whether you're buying your first pin from Fansets or your 200th, you can be sure that Lou, John, Joe, and the entire team always have your best interests in mind. They, like their pins, 
have character. Oh, truer words have really never been spoken, Dan. And coming from you, a guy who can barely speak English, <laughs> let alone complete a sentence as we demonstrated in the last segment, that really <laughs> means a lot. So You're welcome. Great job, buddy. So <laughs> listeners, really do yourself a huge favor. Go on over to fansets.com and when you get there, put a bunch of pins and accessories and even gift certificates into your cart. Because remember, when you spend more than $30, you're automatically going to get free shipping in the United States. And then on top of that, for 15% off your entire order, use the Trek, use the exclusive Trek Geeks discount code for this week, Kilana. That's K-I-L-A-N-A in all capital letters. This discount code will be available to use until Wednesday, November 11th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Fansets. Our pins have character, and we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Well, Dan, this week we consider an episode of DS9 that you and I have both really loved for a long time, um, and it's not necessarily one that the producers thought would be received nearly as well, I think. Yeah, I I was shocked to read that as I was doing research uh, for this week's discussion, man. Even after the episode was done, a lot of the producers and powers that be didn't really have a whole lot of love for this episode. They thought it could have had so much more, but I thought it had everything. I thought it was great. And uh, of course, we're talking about um, season four, season nope. five, excuse me, season five's uh, episode, The Ship, uh, written um, by Pam Wigington and Rick Kaysen, and the teleplay was by Hans uh, Beimler, if mm-hmm. I'm getting that correct, yep. uh, and directed by Kim Friedman. Um, it originally aired on October 7th, 1996. We are old, because I watched that first run. Oh, so did I. <laughs> and, um, and it instantly became one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine and continues to this day to be one of my favorites. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's only the second episode of season five, Deep Space Nine. Um, because there's so much that, that occurs here. It, um, it's one that, that I remember seeing that week. In fact, it was the, the weekend, uh, immediately following my birthday. So, I mean, I had gone out for, for dinner that weekend, did the whole cake thing, came home, watched Deep Space Nine, and I was totally blown away. Um, from the, from the first moment I saw that episode, I got to fast forward through the commercials, which was even better because I had it on VHS. (laughs) Um, yeah, I had set the timer on the old VCR and stuff. Oh my. Um, but I immediately loved this episode and I was reduced to tears, uh, even then, uh, just as I was, um, at lunch today when I watched it again. <laughs> Did you really have tears again today? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's got a whole gambit of emotions, doesn't it? It's got the tension, which that's some tension. And when you know, when Cisco's barking at you, there's some tension going on. There's tension. There's a little bit of humor. Um, there's. Uh, unbelievable sadness. There's, uh, you know, people are scared. It's got the whole, the whole flow. And um, yeah, the ending is very sad. And I'll tell you what, the very ending of the episode might be the best part of the episode when yeah. Dax and Cisco are sitting there. We'll get the, into that later. But yeah, it's got everything. And just, I could watch it over and over again. I actually watched it yesterday in preparation for our discussion. And I just love it. I always love it. This is a great example of something a Deep Space Nine did a lot and did really, really well. To have an episode that's really kind of just barely outside the Dominion arc, but definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. And it introduces something that we're going to see later, which is pretty key. Um, I think this episode, we couldn't have known it then when we watched it, but this episode is pretty pivotal in the Dominion arc. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, who would have thought that this ship would be such an important part 
of the Dominion War and what they do later on. Um, and it's one of those things where um, later on in the Dominion War, when they show up at uh, Starbase and they're saying, here's what we're going to do. And and they show the, the the space dock or whatever it is. And there's that Dominion ship. And the Admiral says, remember that ship you got a couple of years ago? And you're like, oh, my God, they really know how to tie things together. And Oh, it's such an important part of the whole war story. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. Um, there's a, some observations I want to make about this episode before we dive into the meat of it. And the first of them is this. Um, so while Cisco and company are on the planet, there's a runabout in orbit. And piloting the runabout is a Benzite mm-hmm. without the breathing apparatus thingy. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the, the same one that Mordok and Mendon had in TNG season two. Yeah. So it makes me ask myself, did they just adjust? Are they on meds? Um, to allow them to breathe the regular atmosphere? What's up with that? I have a theory. Oh, let's hear it. I love it. Remember um, Hippocratic Oath when Bashir and, and Miles go to the planet with a Jem'Hadar don't have to worry about using Ketracel White, or at least yeah. one of them? Yeah. I think that this Benzite was on that runabout hiding and sucked some of the atmosphere from that planet and is using it in that runabout there so she doesn't have to breathe that stuff. Kind of like the way you suck all the oxygen out of a room. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I, I never really um, noticed that in all the times I've watched that uh, that episode. I've never really said, "Hey, where's her breathing apparatus?" But that's a very good observation. It's good to know you're good for something here on Trek Geeks, buddy. And pointing out little things like that, uh, you're you're the cream of the crop, pal. How many people did they have crammed on that runabout? Because there's I, like seven I, of them on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, and yes. there's like there's the Benzite pilot, and there's three or four people behind yep. her. I'm like, uh, did they bring half a Deep Space Nine with them? I have another theory. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, your theories are the stuff of legend. It's kind of like they, listening yeah. to Ken Jeong on the Masked Singer. <laughs> well, we we see the runabouts a lot in Deep Space Nine, and they always seem to have these back rooms that you never really see, except I think in the TNG. Runabout, well, that's well, that's true, and then the yeah. fruit goes bad. Um, yeah. But I think what happens is the runabouts are like Doctor Who's TARDIS. Is when you're inside the runabout, it's like it's huge. It's like a mansion. So I think that's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can't believe you pulled out a TARDIS joke. Have you ever watched Doctor Who? I used to watch in the eighties with Tom Baker all the time. Um, I used to love it back then. Wow, um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, um, but I have never watched any of the new stuff, and I know I have to because it's it's supposed to be really good, but I have not uh, taken the time. Wow. Yeah, oh, so we'll get to that when we start our Doctor Who podcast on the Trek Geeks podcast. In 2040, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be called Who'd At? Right. <laughs> no, it won't. No, it will um, not. <laughs> no, no, it will not. One of the things that really strikes me about this episode is the relationship between O'Brien and Muniz, which starts the entire episode. Uh, Muniz looks like he's a crewman. He looks like he's non-commissioned like O'Brien is. Um, and the back and forth that they establish between those characters early really sets the tone for the entire episode and what occurs later. I love the relationship they have there. I wish that O'Brien had more of that with yes. the non-coms on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it really is great to see this. And this actually is not the first time that we've seen this character. And And spoiler alert, we're going to have something a little special regarding that later on in today's episode. But um, he's been on uh, the show before, and I think that's one of the important things that they wanted to show in this episode was that special connection that engineers have with each other. They work so hard on things on Deep Space Nine especially that are always breaking and always are a problem. But um, you can tell that O'Brien and Munez have been working together for a long time and have that great Kind of like us with our back and forth um, 
uh, repartee. Um, they just kind of do the same thing, and he can get away with it because uh, O'Brien's not commissioned officer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they both are, you know, for yeah, the most part. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because if he were an ensign, he'd outrank O'Brien. That's true. And you couldn't yep. have that happen. No, that would. Oof, oof. No. Um, but you know, the way that, that he very, you know, um, uh, respectfully chides O'Brien, especially at the beginning, <laughs> like, oh, did you just need to catch your breath? <laughs> Meaning the old fat bastard. <laughs> Mountains in Ireland? <laughs> what are you kidding me? <laughs> I love, I love the way they, they talk to each other. It, it is the perfect scene to set the tone for this episode. Yeah. Um, and if I may, um, we'll get into it later on, but you really feel for the relationship that these guys that these guys had for each other and have for each other when he's injured because you got to be really really ready to throw down if you're going to stand nose to nose with Worf which O'Brien does uh because Worf crossed the line with O'Brien about yeah. his friend and yeah. uh so you can really tell that there's a strong connection with those two characters so let's talk about the crisis here. So at the beginning of the episode, they're on a um, an expedition to see if they can set up a mining colony. Seems like we do a lot of mining in the future. And Isn't in that, the Gamma Quadrant. And in the Gamma Quadrant, no less. Yeah. Uh, a Jemadar ship has crashed, and it looks like it's crashed upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the runabout in orbit with the Benzite pilot and the other, you know people on board is is destroyed by more Jem'Hadar. Uh-huh. And Cisco and crew have to make it through two and a half days until the Defiant can arrive from Deep Space Nine to rescue them. Mm-hmm. Um, so already it sets them up behind the eight ball. The fact that they've got to make it through two and a half days with Jem Hadar on the planet, um, that is, uh, that's rough, man. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being in that position and the only place they can take solace in is this ship that the Jem Hadar want. Right. And um, right from the get-go, as soon as uh, as soon as that shuttle, or I'm sorry, as soon as the runabout is destroyed, those Jem'Hadar show up with weapons blazing. And can I say that in this episode, at least, both the Federation and the Jem'Hadar's aim is just as bad as stormtroopers. <laughs> the only there's only one guy who you never he never talks, you never see, hear his name. Well, I think you do hear his name, but he gets taken out like instantly because he's standing on top of the ship, going, "I think I see something." <laughs> Dead, gone, just like. In you know arena, but uh, so that's the only. Well, it's not the only shot. Muni- that's interesting too. Let's bring that up right now. Yeah. So this guy gets shot and is dead, and Munez gets shot but isn't dead, but it's the same weaponry. Huh? I I don't know. Maybe it grazed him. <laughs> grazed. Yes. That's, um, I guess that's all you can say. Yeah. Um, uh, it's hard to say, but I think it still works for the story. It does. Oh my God, it works perfectly for the story. It's a bit yeah. of a plot contrivance. I, mm-hmm. I concede that. Um, it's a bit of a hole, kind of like the one in Muniz's belly. Oh. Oh, too soon. Oh. Too soon. Oh. It's only been almost 25 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. you know, it, it, it's amazing that they have to take refuge in this ship. They they discover that all the Jemadar on it are, are dead. All their Crushed. bones were crushed. A theoretical Ouch. failure of the inertial inertial dampeners. Mm-hmm. Um, it I gotta I gotta admit it's it's gotta be like hitting a brick wall at warp nine. Yeah, 
you know, or 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 your face. Um, but yeah. I also found it interesting that that O'Brien talks about the inertial dampers failed, and and every bone in their body was crushed. They were all thrown into the bulkhead, but there were like six of them standing at the bridge station upside down, like Dracula's. Yeah, all suspended from midair. Yeah. Yep, which was another thing. The, the whoever came up with the idea of let's not just have them have to be stuck in a Jem'Hadar ship, let's have them be stuck in an upside down Jem'Hadar ship, so they have to walk on the ceiling and all that stuff. That was a pretty good another mind twister, so to speak, for the episode. Well, and it also meant great things for the lighting, because yeah. everybody got to be lit from from below, underneath. Yep, which made it look even more ominous and scary, mm-hmm. and added a real tension to the scenes on board the ship which just get more and more tense as the episode progresses honestly yeah um, i like that part very much i love how there's there's almost a little bit of an homage to star trek 2 in this episode yeah my favorite uh, my favorite scary scene in star trek 2 where bones runs into the guy hanging yep dead from the uh from the level above and it was an o'brien almost walks into the dead gem hadar exactly it's very much like that scene in star trek 2 and it's i this is going to sound really weird, but I smile every time I see it. Very reminiscent of Star Trek II. Yeah, it's it's good, and it would have been even better if they had the same like music for that. When you know they're, they're dong, <laughs> and then O'Brien could go Jim, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you never notice that McCoy's voice gets really low and gruff, like Jim. <laughs> wow, that was scary. See, yeah, I'm terrified. Halloween's over. Uh, it's <laughs> never over with you. Okay, you take that mask off, like the Scooby Doo oh. kids. What? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> um, let's talk about the Vorta. Kilana. Kilana. She's a very different type of Vorta. By mm-hmm. this time in Deep Space Nine, we've seen a couple of different ones. Um, most of the Vorta are pretty smarmy, but this this Vorta is very different from Wayun. She is decidedly more sinister and more yeah. underhanded. And I think that's one of the things I like about this character. It works very well. And I got to say, before we get to talking about her, talk about Total Crush. I love Kalana. Have since the first time I saw the episode. Uh, Caitlin Hopkins. Wow. She did such a great job. She looks fantastic in this. We're going to see her again in Voyager. And we're going to talk about her next week on See It or Skip It, uh, Voyager Season 6. Just just a little uh, spoiler alert there. But she does a great job as, as Kalana. She is she's, – she's ruthless – but she's not ruthless in a way that it looks like she's ruthless. She's, I mean, you could, she's just so fake in her, oh, I really wish I could have trusted you and blah, blah, blah. And you can tell that it's just, oh, this is my first deep space assignment. Yeah. Um, but she's great. And I, I really, really wish we had gotten to see more of her, um, on the series. It's interesting that this, Vorta was supposed to be Eris, who we saw back um, a couple of seasons ago in the season finale of season two, I believe, in the Jem'Hadar. The Jem'Hadar. Um, but the the actress could, couldn't make it work, so they brought Kalana in. And man, I just wish that she had become a regular uh, a regular Vorta, sort of like Wayun did. It would have been great, I think. I kind of like the switch up, though, because I like the quality that Caitlin Hopkins brings to this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the fact that she's almost Romulan in her deception and in her underhandedness. And it, it leads to some really great interactions with Cisco. Uh, Cisco, Cisco knows what she's about from the get go. Um, he kind of, he doesn't get a step ahead of her because they're, as he says, they're always a step ahead of them. Yeah. But he understands very well what she's up to every time she opens her mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 
it's really great the way Avery Brooks and Caitlin Hopkins play off of each other in those scenes. And every time she opens her mouth, it's pretty much BS, but he diplomatically handles it. Of course, one of the things I like the most in this episode with Kalana is when she's like, oh, I'm so glad that you weren't hurt, but other crew members you know, could have been severely injured or killed. Do you want something to eat or drink? <laughs> it's like, ooh. Because you're not going to get anything for a couple of days? <laughs> yes. And she's just sitting there, okay, num, 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 and then just waves it off. And and it looked like the drink was in a Klingon um, uh, flagon or whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> <laughs> I just I wonder how many times you can use the word flagon on this show. I think this is, that's the first ever. A, f- a flagon of mead. <laughs> Guarantee anyway. <laughs> they weren't offering that to Cisco. I doubt it. Um, I doubt it. But no, I love how she instantly starts to taunt them. Yeah. Oh, do you need food? <laughs> I've got all the food you want. And drink. Oh, try these. These are so delicious. Yeah. What, you don't want them? It's uh-huh. like, she's, I, I like this, I like this Vorta probably a little more than the Wayunes, quite honestly. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I wish an amazing that, statement. I wish they had I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Wayoon. You know, I love um I love all the various iterations of that character, but I wish that we could have seen more clones of Kilana. I think that that would have been amazing. But to what your point you just said a minute ago, maybe the reason we love her so much like we do in this episode is because we don't see her again. Yeah. So uh, she she was fantastic. Um uh and and anytime we get the Jem'Hadar on the screen, I'm I'm a fan. I always like the bad guys. I love the Jem'Hadar. I, I've always liked them. And in this one, they don't do a real lot besides you know shoot bad and then they just stand behind her. Um, <laughs> but it's it's still it's still pretty awesome. Well, except for that one guy who went into the ship with nothing but a knife and a spidery looking sensor device. <laughs> went into the ship with a knife. I've got some real issues with that. <laughs> I um. What can I say? So, um, well, let's talk about that a little bit because clearly Kalana and the Jem'Hadar want something aboard that ship, mm-hmm. but our crew has no idea what it is. And it's amazing how very quickly we're, we're reduced down to our four series regulars um, and guy who's going to die. Right. <laughs> but I will say if they're, if they're – there really isn't a weakness in this episode, and I don't want it to sound like it is. No, I agree. But if there is a weakness in this episode, come on. It's a Jem'Hadar ship. You've got a, 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 a battalion or however many Jem'Hadar and a Vorta who want to get in that ship no matter what. Cisco's smart enough to understand that it's going to be more than just maybe a sensor array or or some kind of a log that has important information. The way that they need the 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 importance that the that the Vorta has of wanting to get an item that she can't talk about out of that ship, I would have thought he would have been smarter than that and be like, oh, maybe there's a founder on board. Let's do some phaser sweeps. I'm amazed they didn't think of that, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, because the camera angles do a lot of teasing with pointing up at the ceiling at various mm-hmm. points. And you can see that now after a couple of rewatches, like, oh, there's a shot of the ceiling again, or the floor, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right. Because it's really the floor. Um, right. Oh, look, there's another shot up there. They they did a, a pretty good job of kind of trying to telegraph what the key to this all was, if they only would have looked up, possibly. Up. Yeah. Or like you said, done a phaser sweep, which I think would have been really good, but then it probably would have ended the episode a lot sooner. A lot sooner, and it would have been a great. I, I mean, it it was a great reveal. 
yeah, I mean, when was. you find out that it is a founder, I mean, that box just kind of oozes and then turns into the founder. That was a good shock moment, even though maybe a little bit, you know, expected. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because I've seen it so many times. But yeah. was that something? Do you remember that you expected that to happen when you saw it the first time? I did not. Okay. I expected it was going to be some kind of information or data, or maybe they were going to find someone on board mm-hmm. that was uh, not a founder. Like, like a Romulan alien. dissident hiding in a torpedo. Or maybe another Vorda, or yeah. or maybe, who knows? Yeah. Um, but when that reveal happened, I was like, oh. And then, you know, that changeling went from goop to dust in about two seconds. He was not doing too good. And it's funny that um, that's one thing Dax said, it can't hold its shape anymore. Okay, well, when Odo can't hold his shape, he just turns into goo. And if he doesn't have his bucket, he's going to spill all over the floor. This one spilled all over the floor and then turned into volcano powder. I mean, it was just, it was pretty quick. And I love the, I love the, how it's like all end up in a, like a mass, but there's a couple like stalagmites of him and it's like, I was just going to say that. That's that's my favorite part of that, of that founder is when it dissolves like that. It's really awesome. Yeah. There's always a couple of peaks that come crashing down like, (laughs) oh, gravity. (laughs) And that happens in the adversary too, which is also cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. When you get to that point and you realize that, um, it could really go south here in no time. It really changes the stakes of, of what's going to happen. The barrages of, of, you know, uh, of, of fireworks for want of a better word, stop as soon as that happens because they know the founder's dead. Right. But at that point, the uncertainty in that moment really is palpable. You feel it. Oh, it really is. And, and, and Cisco even says it, then we're in trouble because they don't have any, there, there's, there's no, there's no need to protect anything anymore. So you don't know if there's going to be a full-on assault. And I did find it very surprising that as a result of the founder dying, the Jem'Hadar kill themselves. I'm that was su- an interesting part of their mm. of their heritage. I don't know if that's the right word, that I didn't understand. If they fail their mission, they're going to kill themselves? That yeah. was new to me for this one. Um, I, same here. When I, that happened the first time, I was, no pun intended, blown away. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to do it. Um, smash. But it's, it, it's amazing to think that that's the seriousness with which they, they, they view the founders as gods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not even a view to them. It, it's their, their long held belief. Right. And I mean, I, their God just died. And it's their genetic makeup. It's their genetic makeup. Yeah, so, it's hmm. obviously a great place for a commercial, and we're going to do oh. the same thing. We're going to continue our discussion in just a moment. But first, Dan, in the words of the immortal Gene Rayburn, let's do a little business with America, shall Bam. we? We want to remind everyone, Dan, that our friends at Science Division, creators of the Galaxy's first interactive triple that you can control with your mobile phone, are putting together a free virtual convention that you can attend from the comfort and safety of your own home this upcoming weekend. Yeah, it's coming up fast, man. This Saturday, November 7th, uh, enjoy a full day of panels, virtual vendor tables, trivia, and the best sci-fi merchandise in the quadrant. It's being called the Vendor Hall. That's H-A-U-L. And you're going to see some great content and some great deals. 
They'll have day of convention deals from licensed vendors so that folks can get their nerdy holiday shopping done all in one place. Hint, hint, Bill. Uh, and you can support <laughs> businesses hit hard by the loss of in-person conventions at the same time. Now, you'll be able to stop by the virtual tables for so many Star Trek licensees. I mean, just listen to this list. Of course, there's Science Division. There's also Volante Design, Cherry Tree Incorporated, Retrospect Studios, Perfect World Entertainment, and Cryptic Studios. Yes, the creator. Creators of Star Trek Online, Gold Bubble Clothing, Factory Entertainment, Eagle Moss Hero Collector, yeah, Movies on Glass, and of course our friends at Fansets. Plus, there are going to be some great guests as well. Jay and Kaylee are still adding guests, but they've already lined up Phil Plate, known as the Bad Astronomer, as well as Star Trek science consultants Dr. Mohammed Noor and Dr. Aaron McDonald. Plus, just announced yesterday two brand new and amazing guests. Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine and his wife, yes. Kitty Swink, will be part of a panel discussing theater during the COVID-19 pandemic. Armin and Katie will delve into how they're keeping the art of theater alive through literature and radio plays. And Jay and Kaylea, who, you know, in, in their day jobs or lighting designers for theater, will share how hybrid learning and mandated closures are impacting theater education and the live events industry. That should be really fascinating. That is fantastic news. Now, to find out all the information, go to vendorshall.com. That's vendors, H-A-U-L.com. And get ready for a great weekend of Star Trek content this coming Saturday, November 7th. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. I don't know how I didn't know you were going to throw in a little Cyrano. Uh, I almost didn't. It was last. It was like a millisecond decision. Uh, that's, uh, I regret sort this. Sort of like my intention span. <laughs> sort of like deciding to do a podcast five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, one of the things that sets the ship apart from other episodes of Star Trek is that we get a lot of conflict here. And it's the type of conflict we don't typically see in Star Trek. You remember the famous Roddenberry rule is that you can't really have long-lasting or serious conflict between main characters of a series. It was the kind of thing in the Berman area that they kind of... I don't want to say turned a blind eye to, but tried to skate past as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But this episode really just throws it out the window and says, too bad. Yeah, it really does. And 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 during the, the TNG years, you could kind of get away with it because it was more of an episode of the week. And I'll always go back to War's Broken Spine in one episode, and then he's fine the next week. But Deep Space Nine is a long arc. So it's bound to happen, and it's bound to bleed into later episodes. And the one that always I think of... Um, and I don't know if I'm just seeing this through uh, hazy eyes because of this episode I've seen so many times, is the relationship from Worf and O'Brien. Do you think that that relationship took kind of a hit after this episode? It's hard to say because the show, while still serialized to some extent, is largely episodic in the way the characters remember things. So while they had some great tension here that I think tested their friendship, mm. Um, but also a, a great resolution, which we'll get to in a bit. Yes. I, I can believe that it might have caused war. I'm sorry. It might've caused O'Brien to lose some respect for Worf. Yeah. Cause I know I did. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I did as well. And, and, and O'Brien was right to kind of dig at Klingon culture. It's not always dying glory. You know, there could be a possibility that he survives. We just have to, you know, make him think that. And, and Worf wants none of that and says, you know, you know what? Maybe you should just kill him yourself so he doesn't suffer anymore. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So absolutely. Worf, uh, incredibly insensitive in this episode. Yes. You would think that after, 
living and working among humans for so long that he would have gained some of that ability. Mm-hmm. That's the one, it's the one flaw for me in this episode is that Worf is, he's not only more Klingon than Klingon, he's more, uh, more Klingon than ever before. And, and here's a question that I have to Worf. You didn't know this guy probably very well. What if it was Dax laying there? What if it was Cisco? Would you still have that attitude? I cannot think that he would. What if it was Riker? Yeah. Riker, who he was prepared to leave the Enterprise for uh, when Riker was up to be captain of the Ares and the Icarus mm-hmm. factor. Right. Um, what if it had been Jean-Luc Picard as Chadich? Um, I if don't you were think any he... other man, I'd kill you where you stand. Yeah. But he backed yeah. right off of that, didn't he? Exactly. Yep. I, I understand that Worf is essentially saying what we're all thinking. He's kind of died. For the most part. This guy's dead. Yep. He is dead man walking. He may as well be wearing a red yep. shirt. Yep. But. You don't say it. it no, you do. He, <laughs> uh, in this episode, Worf doesn't have any of his human quality. And I, I have to think that his parents would be really disappointed in him. Absolutely. No uh, real cake blood pie for him. <laughs> yeah, Sergey and Elena, not happy. Uh, not happy. I I appreciate the fact that O'Brien doesn't back down. One, that's no. not who O'Brien is to begin with, but mm-hmm. O'Brien has always been deferential to senior officers. Worf is essentially the second in command for Starfleet on the station. Mm-hmm. He's not the first officer, but I mean, he's number two under Cisco in the Starfleet rank right. uh, or org chart. Um, O'Brien has a healthy respect for that org chart. And that tells me that this is more than personal for O'Brien. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know that O'Brien's always the one that gets beat up or shot or has his teeth pulled out or gets put in a mind prison for 25 years. And he stands right up to Worf, who is a big dude, um, and could crush your head like a melon if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. He doesn't back down for a second, which really shows you how passionate he was about the fact that Worf needs to shut his mouth. And you're right. You do lose a little bit of of respect for Worf. You know, there's time to to beat your um, Klingon chest and there are times that you don't, especially when you've been around humans for so long, like yeah. you talked about. And this was one of those moments where he completely failed. Now, is it possible that as Cisco talks about later on, they're all under a tremendous amount of stress. There's explosions going off. They have to find something that they have no idea what it is they're looking for. And he just slips a little bit. Maybe. I think so. But still, it's, I mean, that's just, whew, that was that's some cruelty coming out of Worf there. I think it was a great way to illustrate that tension and the fact that it was starting to get to everybody, even Worf. You know, I said a few minutes ago, he's more Klingon than Klingon. In that moment, he's he's not because it's yeah. affecting him too. And I don't think he expected it would. Mm-hmm. Worf also gets pretty short with Dax. And they get short <laughs> with each other yes. to the point where um, I expected there to be an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> if it was on CBS All Access, it would have been. <laughs> yeah, it actually would have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and I got to say. You know, Worf, Worf was proud that he found this and maybe they can do something with it. Maybe it was a little ridiculous for him to rip it out of the bulkhead. But yeah. Dax was not asking for any help or favors with her snarky comment. Now, I know that she has to be the one to make the little jibe comments to try to loosen the atmosphere. She gets dressed down for it later. But this one, I think Worf was justified in what he said because I thought that what she said was pretty low brow. I, I do not, not care what you do with it. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get any disagreement here. Um, <laughs> it, it shows that even sometimes, and this is true of you and I, 
at, even at times we get under each other's skin hmm. and <laughs> it happens. We get past it. We get over it. Right. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, um, we're on the same side. <laughs> right. We have that mutual respect and admiration yep. and God, it kills me to say all of that about you, I but who um, you're talking to, but Worf and Jadzi and Worf and O'Brien and, and really the Starfleet crew are, are, are not any different. They're members right. of the same family who were having a disagreement and it right. happens from time to time, but between Worf and Dax, I tell you what, yeah. man, it's, it's bad. It is bad. And, and, you know, she's got a lot of lifetimes of experience, you would think she might know, uh, learn, uh, know when to keep her mouth shut too, like Worf should have. She was like the Kling, she was like a Klingon expert with Curzon, and she's gonna say something like that. He could have hauled off and sent her flying across the room. She, she's <laughs> got experience dealing with Klingons. It's like an ambassador or something. <laughs> yeah, she's been around huh. more Klingons than Worf has. <laughs> That's absolutely which true, is absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Mira Curzon um, plays an important role in uh, Spock's rise to empire, by the way. Just oh. little, FYI. Oh, good to know. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that interjection that nobody cares about. Popped in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in this episode, we do get a healthy amount of Yelly Cisco, which always I makes my Yelly heart Cisco. just warm. Sing. I love it when he starts losing it um, because Cisco is 100% right in all of this. Yep. yep. Um, he dresses them all down and deservedly so. The mm-hmm. only thing is he should have done it maybe about 10 minutes earlier in the episode. Absolutely. And and the best one is the, when he it, – it, it, we love Yelly Cisco. You know, you're all Starfleet officer now act like – but when he's like, in case you haven't noticed Dax, no one's laughing. I mean, that's just a great <laughs> non-yell dress down. And you can tell by the look on Dax's face that she's like, oops, I bleeped up. Um, but yeah, his, his yelling um, – with the whole where filthy, uh, the uh, what is it? Hundred tons of yeah. isometric explode, isometric explosives going off, or something like that. It's a great Avery Brooks moment because when he yells, he enunciates and he makes the words sound good, and it's no mistaking it here. Well, and Dax doesn't really feel bad about it because she gives him a really snarky "Yes, sir" on her way out the door. <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> yep. Um, in fact, you yeah. don't even see her face. Mm-hmm. You hear the tone. You get her sort of like three quarter shot. And She's like, rolling her eyes. I, I can totally see it. But you mm-hmm. would think that Dax would know better. Right. And I think it's Which, just illustrative of how bad the exactly. situation there is aboard the ship. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say is all of these people were used to being a certain way. And have we ever seen them under this amount of tremendous stress before? Probably not. We're going to see it later during the war. But we haven't gotten to it at this point. And this is a very tight, confined location. It's unknown. They got all kinds of things coming at them from every direction. So it is um, understandable that that they would have different reactions than what we're used to. It's just a surprise to see those reactions. No, it, it really is. Um, probably the single most important aspect of this episode, character-wise, and what it means to the characters is the death of Muniz. It's, it, it, it kicks you right in, right in the gut. Yeah. Um, because this is a character that you want to have make it. It's a character that everybody is invested in, but they know he's been shot with an anticoagulant weapon. His mm-hmm. time is not long. And finally, when his head flops down and you see the way O'Brien reacts and you see the way the Jadzia reacts yeah. when Cisco kind of grabs her arm to hold yep. her back. Yep. Um, it, it, it is... 
it is an incredibly sad moment and the viewer feels it just as much as they do. And so many aspects leading up to that are very um, important in in this character of Munez. I can never say his name correctly. Munez. Um, he's hurt, but he's he's being strong for his captain. Whenever the captain's around, he's you know I'm right, I'm okay, sir, no problem. And and then when he starts to fade away, when he's seeing the fireworks, when you hear the explosion, and he starts speaking Spanish. And as you pointed out to me, first time that you've ever heard Spanish on Star Trek. Yeah. Which is quite amazing. But he's falling into that hallucinogenic time right before dying. And the thing that was is the most gut-wrenching for me, O'Brien's sagging shoulders and look on his face is just awful, but he dies off screen. Yeah. And there's been times where we've seen people die or we haven't seen people die because they died off screen. Sarek is another example. Yep. But with this one, he dies off screen, but you see it right afterwards because when when O'Brien goes to help him, he like you said, he just sags, his head sags down. And that's just, that is the punch in the stomach. And very th- big time. I think that's, unfortunately, I think it's, I think it's the most impactful way that this character's death occurs because yeah. they're also tied up in this tension and this conflict and, and the stress that they're under that this happens while they're all going through all this stuff and and trying to survive and they realize that they let they let the ball get by them yeah and it's yep. i uh it brings a tear to my eye every time i watch the scene man it's it's rough yeah. so rough. and isn't it amazing that all of that tension and anger and um uh, frustration that everybody had completely disappeared in that moment. And like you said, you really see it with Jadzia. You see how upset she is and she wants to go help O'Brien, but Cisco holds her back gently. Worf just stands there at attention, looking down at what's going on. I feel that in that moment, there was a unspoken connection between that crew and the sorrow of what they all did and said to each other earlier when everything was getting a little bit out of control. It's almost like the object lesson, you know, the sort of the bonk bonk on the head moment. Yeah. They were, they were so busy trying to, you know, make sure they all survive that they didn't notice that one of them didn't survive. Right. Um, and, and that kind of takes us to the resolution of the episode. Uh, so obviously the founder is found kind of, <laughs> as we talked Lost. earlier, he's, he's the, Lost and found. he's the black dust, uh, the Gemidar <laughs> all kill themselves. I imagine ritualistically, mm-hmm. um, Starfleet is going to get a great intelligence find, probably the best Absolutely. one in years, yep. which we know comes back later as we discussed. But the most palpable thing in this resolution is probably Cisco's regret. Yep. All of that stuff is true, but it doesn't make him feel any better. Right. You know, in, in at Starfleet Academy, they tell you not to get too emotionally attached for want of a better word, but I don't think there's any way Benjamin Cisco can't be. I think that's who he is. That shows his humanity, which is so which is one of the things that you and I have both always appreciated about this captain. Yeah. Captains are supposed to stay distant. This captain has a son that he's raising on a space station. He's got a first officer who considers him to be the emissary of the prophets. So he has connections, whether he wants them or not. And it's only fitting that he feels this way with the deaths of, of Munez and, and Hoya and, and the others on the ship. Um, he talks about how Munez has the same birthday as Jake. 
that's a connection, whether, whether he realizes it or not. Just having that knowledge about this, this non-commissioned, um, engineer who worked with O'Brien, knowing details about that is, is really, um, is really, uh, something that shows the character that, that Cisco has and how it's very difficult to not have connections with the people that serve under you. Well, it's true. And he has a certain connection with Dax. Um, Mm -hmm. One that's very important to the series as a whole. And, you know, Dax points out to him that, you know, while it sounds cold, you know, from a practical standpoint, the captured ship may have cost them five people, but it could help save thousands or millions more. And that's, it doesn't make Cisco feel any better because in his mind, it's, it's unfair to those who died on a planet in the middle of nowhere. It's Deep Space Nine's version of the needs of the many outweigh yeah. the needs of the few. Uh, and it, it's really done well. That last scene in the mess hall is really, really important, not only to the, to the, to the story, but to the relationship between Dax and Cisco. Even though Dax is, um, is a subordinate to Cisco, their unique friendship She's able to do and say things with Cisco that nobody else would be able to get away with. And this is one of those moments, I think. Her hundreds and hundreds of years of experience as a, as a symbiote trill really, really shines in, the, in that moment. Yeah. Um, but of course, that's not the last moment of this episode. No, it's <laughs> not. And, and probably the one that actually brings the most resolution is the one between O'Brien and Worf in the, uh, what is it? The cargo bay or the, the mm-hmm. converted cargo bay or the mess hall or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, and O'Brien is essentially standing or sitting watch over Munoz's casket. Yep. Um, which I can imagine O'Brien doing rather easily, but then Worf walks in and it catches both of them off guard. Cause I don't think O'Brien expected Worf to come and Worf mm-hmm. certainly didn't expect O'Brien to be there. Exactly. And, and, um, that was what I think that I think Worf's surprise was bigger to me than than O'Brien's surprise. O'Brien was surprised, I think, because well, you you thought he was dead right from the moment he got shot. What the hell are you doing here? And I think Worf was, oh God, he's found me. He's I'm I'm coming to give my respects and and stand guard for Akvo or whatever it's called. Um, and now so now I'm gonna have to explain myself. And he explains himself wonderfully. And and I said that a little while ago. I said, "Do you think that O'Brien lost a little bit of respect for Worf because of what happened in this episode?" And I hadn't really thought that at the end of this episode, you kind of see that respect come back. Yeah. At the end of this episode, and he says, "Kinkay," I, I love his nickname. Kinkay would have would have liked that that they were both going to stand uh, and uh, keep the predators away. I thought that was pretty cool. Here's here's my theory on this, and you can tell me how you feel about it. I think that. Worf's story about the Klingon tradition called the Akval is a load of malarkey. Really? The and same way the Geek Tal was in Lower Decks in Next Gen. Because mm-hmm. this seems to be totally in direct contradiction to the Klingon death ritual. Why? Very interesting. I have never th- I have never thought of that, and it makes sense. And I think that if that is the case, Worf did that. To show mm-hmm. that he was wrong yes. for what he said to O'Brien and wanted to do something to make him feel better. Worf, and that make that makes a total sense for the Worf character. I, I think that he his human side finally came back out and realized he was wrong. I think that's Worf's non-apology apology. Mm-hmm. Um 
he knows he didn't help the situation and all he can do now is support his friend O'Brien as he mourns their, their comrade and their friend. Right. That's I'd love to talk to the writers sometime and find out if that was what they, what they had done that. I think that's a great, um, a great way to look at it, man. I really like that. Um, the episode's awesome. Yeah. But we talked about at the beginning that the the producers and the and the powers that be didn't really like this. They felt that it could have been a better character building episode. And I gotta say, in reading over what they had to deal with while filming in that quarry where the temperature was like 120 and the Jem Hadar are wearing rubber suits and and um Caitlin was talking about in an interview how she's standing there talk doing her lines and one of the Jem Hadar passes out from heat exhaustion behind her. Um Man, they put up with a lot. I mean, it really was hot and filthy on set, I guess, too. Yeah, uh, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> you know, I have to say that I disagree with with Iris Stephen Bear and Hans oh, yeah. Beimler and all those who thought that this this episode could have been so much more because I think that as it came out, it's pretty damn amazing to begin with. Yeah. Yep. It's it's it so pushes the boundaries of what Star Trek is, and. And we see other episodes that continue to do that in the Deep Space Nine tradition. You know, there's Nor the Battle to the Strong after this. Mm. There's the Siege uh, the siege of AR-558. Oh, there's, yeah. Um, uh, in the Pale Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of episodes coming which take that boundary and push it even further. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this episode was amazing. The one thing I, I meant to bring up earlier that I didn't was the music in this episode underscores what's happening so well and evokes so much emotion. Tense. You hear, you know, variations on some of these themes, I think in other episodes or at least similar music and they do kind of the same thing, but you get the sense of how dire everything is from the score. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things like how many, my God, dude, how many times have we talked about how the music is its own character in an episode? And, and, and this is a perfect example of that, 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 the, the the tension music for when they're going through the halls and 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 or of the ship and trying to find out what uh, the Jem Hadar had had placed and when they're they're dealing with the explosives going off and then you get the the music for when uh, you find out that he's dead yeah I mean, it's just it, it's 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 very it's so well done and it really is too bad that I don't think the people who do the music and the scores for just television get the credit that they deserve a lot of times we always talk about the amazing scores in movies and and this that and the other thing I don't think that the people um, in the old uh, old days 90s um, because we're old, but in the in the in the series that we grew up with, get the recognition that they deserve for doing outstanding music work. I I couldn't possibly disagree. Um, I, I think Jay Chataway did most of the music for this particular episode. I could be wrong, but um, it definitely deserves a call out because it just it is it is amazing. Yeah. Um, speaking of call outs, uh, we have to call out special attention to both Caitlin Hopkins as Kilana and FJ Rio as Munoz. Uh, FG Rio was also great in the TV series, the shield in season six and seven. Um, he plays a really nasty guy and does a, an amazing job. Uh, part of my favorite or one of my favorite aspects of those two seasons. But, um, I tell you, man, uh, he is perfectly cast in this episode and they both do an incredible job, both him and Caitlin. They really do. It's always good to get one special guest who really shines. But when you get two, 
Uh, I mean, I, I'm using this as an example, but it's like when you get Mark Alimo and, and, and Jeffrey Combs on, on screen at the same time. Yeah. It's just like, oh my God, it's awesome. And this is, this is no different. These two do such a great job. And, and, and this was FJ Rio's last appearance, obviously, on Deep Space Nine, but having these two really pl- come with their A game for this episode is another one of the reasons why it's such a great episode. And I think, even though the, the, the people who did the show didn't think it was one of the best episodes, I really think that fans think it's got to be in the top 10 for Deep Space Nine. It's, it's one of my all-time favorite episodes of the show. Yeah, um, I think and, it is. I'll just look at Morehouse's see where he stacks it because I'm not sure I'm not sure where he does on that one. Well, um, at some point, we'll have plenty of time to do that. But uh, man, what an episode! It's one I always love to rewatch, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk about it here on the show. Um, yeah. This episode never disappoints, no matter how many times I rewatch it. Mm-mm. So. Just the fact, in the, and and just the opening, and and as we wrap it up, just the that that ominous scene when they beam to the crash site, and the ship is halfway in a mountain, but there's flames on the ground as they're walking towards it with their phaser rifles drawn. That just sets up for a great hour of television. Uh, it really is. So if you haven't watched this one in a while, really got to dial it up because it is worth worth the forty five minutes. I tell you, um, Dan. Of course, as we do every episode, we have to thank. The band Five Year Mission, not only for all the music that they provide to, to the Trek Geeks podcast and other shows on the Trek Geeks podcast network, but for being five amazing guys that we are so happy to have part of, of our Trek Geeks family and as great friends. We want everyone to go out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their CDs, become a huge fan of their music because we are ourselves. So fiveyearmission.net, get all their CDs, listen to them, learn them, live them, love them. You're, you're just, you're going to love it. You really are. You really are, and and I'll, I gotta say, boy, Fark looked pretty good for as much as Fark can look good uh, with his uh, Patreon Trek Geeks Podcast Network shirt today <laughs> on Facebook. I gotta say, he, he looked did. pretty sporty. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you know, love Five Year Mission, and I love episodes of Deep Space Nine with the Gem Hadar and the Vorda and the Dominion. They're just so awesome, man. So many good stories, uh, like the like the one I just watched uh, recently. And you'll be ha- happy to know I talked about it earlier. Munez is in this episode, actually, that I'm about to talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, before he died in this one, yeah. the ship that we just talked about. But anyway, uh, in this episode, the Defiant is trapped in an atmosphere of a hostile gas giant planet and is being hunted by those Jem'Hadar. Dax and Bashir are trapped in a turbo ship, turbo lift shaft. Say that five times fast because <laughs> I won't. They're losing oxygen. Cisco suffers a bad head injury and he could actually die. And Kira has to talk to him and tell him how much she's like a god to her. Uh, Cork and some alien who sounds an awful lot like Zephram Cochran are staring at a live, undetonated torpedo that's stuck in the hull of the mess hall. Oh my gosh, so many things going on, all because of different musical tastes. You know, why can't we all just get along and enjoy five-year mission? That's my question. But you got to check that out. It's a great season four thriller. Fark ship down. Uh, it is good. I'm losing good. O- I'm losing oxygen. That's because you've stolen it all out of the room. And I'm not even in the same room as you. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not even here, but wow. That's- I feel like you've suffered a bad head injury, just like Cisco. <laughs> although it was probably about 40 years ago. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> or today. Or Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, given the history of you on this podcast, I'm willing to bet oh, it was about 40 years ago. True, true. Yeah. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please grab all their CDs and show them how much you love them. 
Of course, don't forget you too can support the Trek Geeks podcast network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get all kinds of special and exclusive perks. Daniel? Yeah, uh, that's right, man. We just sent out this year's rewards to our Patreon subscribers. They've been posted pictures. They look fantastic. Annual supporters pins produced by our friends at Fansets. Annual t-shirt. Um, just a whole bunch of other perks. Right now, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are always so grateful for their support. And they are Dave Andrews, Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Brooke Horton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mollenkoff, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Trey Womack, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> I laugh every time you do that. We also want to do. thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Rachel Delaney, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Dan, next week, we're getting it back on track, finally, after five years. (laughs) But no, actually, just with theater, skip it for another season of Voyager. Yeah, absolutely. As mentioned earlier, due to some last minute shuffling, we had to reschedule our plan, see it or skip it to next week. But fear not, we still have the amazing Thad Hate from the Delta Flyer podcast with us to discuss every episode of Voyager's penultimate season. It's Voyager season six, see it or skip it next week, 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 week on the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Work, work. I'm amazed that you could actually use the word penultimate in a sentence correctly. And I spelled it right in the copy, too. Uh, Thanks to spell check. It had to be a copy paste. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. In addition to Rewind and Politrex and Five Year Mission, you can also hear the brand new Deep Space Pride with Mike Thurlow and Johnson Lee, as well as Infinite Trek with Aaron Harvey and Brandy Jackala. You can find all of our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 238 of the Trek Geek Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. That's enough! You're Starfleet coconuts! Now start acting like one! How does one act like a Starfleet coconut? Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
Bing bong. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Hi. How are you? Good. A great show. <laughs> yeah, that is. Next week. A lot of a lot of emotion there. Oh. So it's just like every other week I do a podcast. <laughs> with you. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't turn my emotion chip on yet. <laughs> you, I think it's cute. You think you're advanced enough to have one? Because <laughs> the gorillas are had to go. Ah. Sorry. <laughs> How Mr. you doing? Dry Gorder. Gotta hate oh. that effing movie. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> Ryan on Discord is gonna be uh so, oh they mentioned generations again. Yeah, not in yeah. a good way. <laughs> well, I never do. No, I get, no, I get don't. teased uh and, and poked and prodded about my hate for generations, especially by him. <laughs> um quite often. That's like what sometimes the- sometimes a crappy movie is just a crappy movie. One of the best parts of that movie, and it's so subtle. Is when Soren's on the Klingon ship talking to the Klingons and he goes like this. <laughs> it's just like so great. It's like, yeah, they stink. <laughs> it's like when I'm right near you. Wow. Of course, I haven't been near you in almost eight months. No, I smell lovely. My wife got me some cologne. Yeah. To, to impress the, the woodchucks? Or- <laughs> oh, stop talking about wood. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sad part is I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. I forget what it's called. Prada. It's called Prada. So anybody who wants a cologne, Prada. The devil wear it. Hand by the camera <laughs> like we can smell it. Oh, yeah. It's wafting into the camera. Oh, no, you're wafting all right. <laughs> wow. I mowed wow. the lawn today, for God's sake. Dude, it's November. I know. I have one side of the lawn that we had all the new lawn put in over the summer. And I haven't mowed it in a long time, but we got the hot tub coming in Thursday, and I didn't want it to be all trampled and gross for the whole winter, so I went out and mowed it today, so it'll be nice and fresh. It's going to die anyway. Uh, Still. uh, Talk to my wife about what I'm like with lawns. I used to get – we used to get home from doing errands or something, and it would just be barely light out when we were in Yarmouth, where we had leaves – that would sometimes fall. And I'd start up the riding lawnmower and just go around the yard with a blower to blow the leaves off the lawn. I, I, I was, that's all my father making us rake when I was a kid. And now it's, it stayed with me. I can believe this from a guy who irons his underwear. <laughs> you have no proof of that. I, I don't need proof. I've seen it. <laughs> Look, I'm going to take them off right now to show you. Here. See? What? I didn't realize you were a thong. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is really meandering wow. into some Ooh. some really weird areas. <sighs> That's okay. Just like your face. That's what it's supposed to do on the outtake, and then we get serious on the Trek Geeks podcast. Some might say we meander even worse over there. <laughs> well, that's true too. Uh, so, just to let you know, I know that you know what what uh, was sent to us by our good friend and uh, New York Times bestselling author Dayton Ward. I have my. Um, Star Trek uh, strategic operations simulator uh, marquee hanging up on the wall above the door to the Jack and Jill room. I just moved my camera for those that you can't see what's going on to show him. It makes brilliant audio podcasting. It does, but it, it, but what a wonderful thing that he sent us. And it's just like a slap right in your throat box. Wow. (laughs) Uh, No, it's still super cool of him to send that. Yeah, it's very cool. cool. Wait yeah. to see if you ever give me mine. Um, I, I just like to point out, as we record this, it's late afternoon. Yeah. And it's almost friggin' dark outside. It's almost friggin' dark outside. I, I had to put the light on before we started recording. Otherwise, I would have been yeah. in the pitch blackness by the time we were done. They have got to get rid of Eastern, day, Eastern Standard Time. Gotta yep. go. 
Gotta go. Yep. I nope. couldn't agree more. Not I am um, a fan of it. I, so I, we were supposed to have relocated this past summer, right. my wife and I, and we did not because of the pandemic. We didn't want to go from where we were to a place that was an even worse hot zone hmm. because how do you hunt for houses and how do you do showings and all of that stuff and travel. So we decided to put those plans on hold and I looked at the sunset time yesterday for where we were looking to move, it was 5.45 p.m. And that's on standard time. <laughs> they got over an hour more daylight. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was like- They're ah. they're, they're further they're further west and they're south, so. Not much yeah. west, but definitely much, further south. Yeah. Yep. I remember we used to talk about that when we were in Florida, um, how back at home it would be dark already, even though we're in, yeah. we're in Florida, even though it's the same time zone. This 4.30 thing is BS. Oh, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Oof. We still got about um, six weeks. Yeah, before it starts chiming up, going up a little bit. Bit. Yeah, can't wait. Anyway, so um, Halloween. I went through the whole month of October and only drank caramel apple martinis all through the month of October. That's the only martini I had. Okay, I like them. Sue introduced them to yeah, me a sure. while back. So now it's November. So I'm thinking turkey gravy martini. What do you think of that? First, I need a, an explanation as to what the hell that is, because it sounds like you're putting a bunch of gravy in a glass and drinking it. Vodka, a gravy-flavored vodka. I'm thinking of inventing it. And then you can coat the rim with, like, cranberry Stuffing? sauce with little bits of turkey around it, um, oh. and then stick, like, a wing off the top of the glass. What do you think oh, of that? Oh, oh. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. We used to, Sue and I used to come up, or I would, because she'd just look at me funny, come up with weird flavor Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I always used to come up with um, <laughs> lobster and <laughs> butter, butter and lobster ice cream. So it would be butter flavored ice cream with real bits <laughs> of lobster. <laughs> the flavor I'm coming up with right now is vomit. <laughs> Yep. There was another one that I had. I can't remember what, what it was. What is wrong with you? I had just weird things. You know, just, you know, I'm, I'll try anything. <laughs> I've seen that in action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Be not proud. No, I'm, I'm no. not proud of myself. I'm really no. not. So um, I, go go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. You. For, <laughs> that was you funny. See, we said the same thing like four times. I see, see the girl Abby over there. I just had to pull, let my dogs out because they started huffing and puffing. Uh, I see you're pretending to scratch your chin there. Um, so as we record today, it is election day in the United States. And I'm my sister, say that. yeah, my sister sent me a video this morning at 6:30 in Nashua at her ward, and she didn't get out of there until after eight. The line was wrapped around the oval parking lot twice. Sue and I went in Merrimack at 9:37. We left the house and we were back at the house by 10 past 10. And that's with 10 minutes of driving each way. It was busy, but it was flowing amazingly well. So, Well, it's a testament to the work that these town employees and volunteers are doing all over yeah. America. I can't imagine the preparation they've had to put into today, yeah. both at the polls and in counting uh, absentee ballots, which we know states are starting to do today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell you what, my hat's off to every single one of them because it is not easy this year. Yeah, nope. It should. And when we were there, it looked like there were some people in the corner that were opening up ballots and and doing getting them all ready to put through the machine. So it's going to be a long night, that's for sure. In Bedford, New Hampshire, 
mm-hmm. for voting. They had a mask-free tent. If you insisted on not wearing a mask to vote, oh. you okay. could go into this tent where apparently it was asses and elbows. <laughs> of course it was. Um, it, no social distancing going on there and get COVID. Good. I, I'm at the point now where if you're that stupid, get it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Call the herd. I'm. J- it's just. It's Call just. It's God. It's so frustrating. <laughs> I'm. Uh. That's. Uh, that's why I voted absentee this year because I figured yeah. that there would be no shortage of those people. No. We. It was very. Uh. It was very orderly and everything where we were. But Sue and I were were going to vote in person no matter what because of all of the malarkey <laughs> going, malarkey. Around, going around. So yeah. I have to say, in New Hampshire, the absentee process was amazingly easy, especially in town of Merrimack. I've done it before, um, and it has always been very easy, yeah. And I like that they gave you an online status of whether or not your ballot was there mm-hmm. and whether it had been rejected. So, yeah. so uh, speaking of which, hmm. my nephew, Matthew, who was a guest of ours on Discovering Trek for the season yeah. finale a while back. Season two. Yeah. Uh, season two finale. He is in London, um, where they're in lockdown right now, and he did his absentee ballot like a month and a half ago. And as of yesterday, it had not been received in Nashua. I'm not surprised by that um, for a number am- of reasons. Amazing. Not the it's first it, it, of which The is, last time it was in tracked, it was in Boston. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. There was a court order today that the uh, postal inspectors were to sweep particular yes. regions for any outstanding ballots. So yeah. as long as it was postmarked in yeah. theory, yeah. it should count. Yeah. So. Provided it gets there. We'll see. Yep. But ah, it'll be nice that we'll have a week off and then people will be putting up political signs for next year's election. <laughs> <laughs> well, in New Hampshire, the race for the primary kind of starts tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, no politics here on Trek Geeks. Well, no, we, we hope for free and fair elections, as yep. we've said before. Absolutely. Regardless of for whom you vote, mm-hmm. um, we want everyone to be able to do it and we want as many people to get out there and do it as possible. So, Right. Absolutely. Um, today is is what makes our particular representative democracy um, a great thing because the voice of the people gets heard. And here's something I'm going to say now. I don't know if I'll bring it up in the actual discussion that we have on the podcast because we do try to keep politics out of the discussion when we do the discussion. But this is the outtake. This episode is a perfect example of what Republicans and Democrats are like in today's world. They cannot trust each other for the simplest of conversations. And look what happened with the Vorta and and uh, the Federation in this episode. Yeah, we probably won't bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. So anyway, um, all of that aside, um, are you ready to talk about the ship or the, the ship? Sh- the ship. Let's talk about the ship. I'm ready to do it. Okay, let's do it. Jerk face. The ship. Go vote. Oh, but you probably already did, so thanks. <laughs> Coconut.